1973, these two old boys from Mississippi went fishing. Well, shoot, they went fishing, huh? What kind of show is this? Is this a, a fishing show now? Now listen, the events of that night divided these boys' lives in two pieces. Things happened before, and things happened after. And the tiny threads that bind those two pieces together, maybe as little as 20 minutes, made international headlines and forever changed those two old boys. I'm Toby Sells. Let's load up and head out to Pascagoula, Mississippi for what may be the South's most famous UFO abduction case today on Haint Blues. After Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker went fishing that October Thursday in Pascagoula, they came home different, and they'd be different from then on. Theirs was a tale hardly anyone could believe, one that many didn't believe, but one, whether you believe it or not, that remains a mystery to this day. Yeah, it changed Charlie and Calvin, but it changed them in different ways, and you could tell that from the beginning. There's this famous newspaper photo of the two of them at the time. They're sitting together on a couch. I guess it's in the Jackson County Sheriff's Office. And young Calvin's got these perfect 70s sideburns. Alright, now, that don't matter, but they are amazing. What does matter is Calvin's body language. His arms are crossed. His head is down. His eyes unfocused. In his head, he's a million miles away wishing that he could be a million miles away. But Charlie, his bald head is up, his clear, piercing eyes are given a look that says, I know this sounds crazy, but you have got to believe me. And by God, you better believe me. Deputies got Calvin and Charlie's full story that night. And then, they left him alone in the interview room together. See, the cops had a secret. And they were going to bust these boys, these hoaxers. But it backfired. In that room alone, Charlie told Calvin, I thought I'd been through enough hell on this earth. And then to go through something like this. Something like this, you can't get over it in a lifetime. Charlie was older, you know. Back in 73, he was 42, and Calvin was 18. But they both worked together there at the F.B. Walker shipyard in Pascagoula. Called Mississippi's flagship city, Pascagoula sits right on the Gulf of Mexico in between Biloxi and Mobile, Alabama. There at the shipyard, Charlie and Calvin's company built tugs and towboats and fishing boats. And Charlie was a foreman, and it's been said that Calvin kind of looked up to him, kind of like a dad. And while they both worked there in Pascagoula, they were both from up north, around Hattiesburg. Well, I guess they got to talking at work that Thursday and decided that they'd go fishing right after they got off. They loaded their gear into Calvin's brand new AMC Hornet. And they drove to a spot on the Pascagoula River, down by an old grain elevator. 
At first, they were after hardheads and croakers, and they caught a few. But Charlie convinced Calvin to move. He said he'd caught redfish and speckled trout out by the old Shawpeter shipyard right off of Highway 90. And after a brief drive, they were back at the riverbank. They unloaded their gear and made for an old iron pier that stuck out right over the water. The October air was cool and clean with that gulf breeze blowing on them. Probably all you could hear were the sounds of the boys' spinning rods and maybe a low hum coming from the shipyards nearby. I bet it was so peaceful until they saw it. They spotted a blue light, maybe two or three miles away, and it surprised them. Lights in the sky weren't unusual, but a blue light? It caught their attention. Charlie said, then in just a little while, it came right down above the bayou, and the blue light got closer, 25 yards or so, and those boys got scared. Then they were able to see it was an oval-shaped craft that had that blue light on the front of it. It went over their heads and came to hover right behind them, close to Calvin's car. They said it was oblong and about eight feet tall. Calvin said he liked to have had a heart attack. And I don't blame him. They described the sound it made the same way for decades. It was a buzzing sound or a zipping sound or a long hiss, a mm-hmm or a zzzz or a sss. And there was no big blast coming from it like a, a rocket would have, Charlie said. They just stood there, watching it. And then one end of the craft opened up, and three of them just floated out. They were about five feet tall, with pale gray skin, like elephant skin, they said. A cone shape came out of their faces where a human nose would have been. And below that was a slit like a mouth but it never moved and they seemed robotic. Charlie didn't see any eyes but they had something on each side of their heads that kind of looked like ears. They didn't have necks and their heads just rested on their bodies. Charlie told police the figures glided, not walked, but glided out of the ship and moved right up toward them and there was nothing they could do about it. Charlie said, I was scared to death, and me with a spinning reel out there, it's all I had. The figures glided up and around Charlie and Calvin. Both of them had been paralyzed by fear or, or some unseen force. They grabbed the men under their arms with hands that looked like pinchers. Calvin said his arms froze up, just like I'd stepped on a rattlesnake. And with no force at all, they lifted the men off the ground. And they glided me into that thing, Charlie told police. You know how you just guide somebody? All of us moved like we were floating through air. And when I got in there, they had me. You know, they just kind of had me there. There were no seats, no chain. They just moved me around. I couldn't resist them. I just 
floated. Felt no sensation, no pain. And they kept me in one position a little while, and then they'd raise me back up. Both boys said that the inside of the craft glowed brightly, but neither one of them could find a source of the light. Then, an instrument neither man had ever seen before was set before him. The only way Charlie could describe it was that it looked like a big eye. It began to scan their bodies up and down. Then, the beings would leave for a time, and they'd return. And they'd continue to scan up and down. And then they'd leave. Charlie said he wasn't even sure if he was conscious. But he thought he was. But if he was, he could only move his eyes, he said. He even tried talking to him. I'd get a, a buzzing sound out of one of them, and that's all. They didn't pay me no attention, my talking or nothing. Charlie said Calvin kind of passed out when the beings first grabbed him. But Charlie might have been covering for him. You see, Calvin didn't want to talk. He was afraid if they did, they'll come back for us. When they were released, the two only remember standing on the bank of the river where they'd been before. There was no handshake, no hug, no butter bowl filled with leftovers, just poof. Well, not just poof, I guess. There was that buzzing sound again and the craft was gone. But not before it shattered every window in Calvin's brand new car. And then, Calvin and Charlie were alone again. Right back on the bank of the Pascagoula River. Nice and peaceful. The two weren't sure how long they'd been in there. Could have been three hours, or could have been twenty minutes. Charlie said he didn't know because he never wore a watch. But he was sure about one thing. He said, I've never seen that sort of fear on a man's face as I saw on Calvin's. It took me a while to get him back to his senses. And the first thing I told him was, son, ain't nobody going to believe this. Now, neither man had been drinking before the incident. Calvin didn't drink at all. But, once they were back on the ground, Charlie leaned against Calvin's car and nipped on a bottle of whiskey. And I don't blame him. At first, they weren't going to tell anybody. But... Once Charlie collected himself, he decided that somebody, somebody official, ought to hear their story. Charlie was afraid that what had happened to them might be the first volley in a full-scale alien invasion. They called Keesler Air Force Base, but were told to call the local police. Fearing that the police wouldn't believe them, the two drove over to the office of the Mississippi Press, the daily newspaper there in Pascagoula. But... It was late, and the reporters were all gone. But, Catherine and Dorothy Smith were inside the office cleaning up, and Charlie came up banging on the door, and they told him he couldn't come in, and that he needed to go to the police. But Charlie must have told him what happened, because Dorothy and Catherine 
said they were skeptical. He didn't seem like he'd seen nothing, Catherine told a TV news station at the time. He seemed calm. He didn't seem frightened. Dorothy put it a little plainer. I think they'd had a drink, she said. The two men finally decided to take their story to the police. Well, maybe Charlie decided that. A detective working that night said Calvin came in crying, begging Charlie not to talk again for fear that they would come back for him. But the two finally did talk with Sheriff Fred Diamond. Charlie told the sheriff he was afraid the police wouldn't believe him. And Diamond asked, well, how do you know unless you tried? And Charlie apologized. Charlie said he didn't want publicity. And both of them said they didn't want to upset their families. Diamond agreed and asked him to come back the next day and make a full statement. And then the police left Calvin and Charlie in the interview room alone. But they didn't tell him about the hidden tape recorder. Diamond and detectives hoped the two would get to talking. Hoped they'd say, we got him. They're believing this crazy fishing story hook, line, and sinker. But they didn't. In fact, their conversation on that tape became one of the most convincing pieces of evidence for their story. Here's how some of it went down. Calvin, I got to get home and get to bed or get some nerve pills or see the doctor or something. I can't stand it. I'm about to go half crazy. You see how that that door just come right up? Charlie, I don't know how it opened, son. I don't know. They they won't believe it. But, but they're going to believe it one of these days. It might be too late. I knew all along there was people from other worlds up there. I knew it all along. But I never thought it would happen to me. After a pause, Charlie said he was going to have to get a drink when he got home to help him sleep. Calvin said he just wanted to go home and that he was getting sick. With that, Charlie got up and left the room. In there all by himself, Calvin began to pray. It's hard to believe, he said. Oh, God, it's awful. I know there's a God up there. And then the tape ended. Glenn Ryder, a deputy, he laughed at the two boys that night. But nearly four decades later, he told a newspaper reporter, I don't know what happened to them. I wasn't there with them. But I know you don't fake fear. And they were fearful. They were fearful. Later on, Calvin and Charlie underwent a thorough battery of examinations by humans this time. They were psychoanalyzed, hypnotized, given physicals, and both of them passed a lie detector test. No one could prove they were lying. Newspapers grabbed the story with both hands. Within days, reporters from all over the world converged on Pascagoula. 
they all told the same story. Two local fishermen were kidnapped by aliens. A mobile television station said a psychic had predicted a UFO appearance and and they were going to show it live. About a thousand cars showed up at the site, but nothing happened. Nearby in Ocean Springs, an alderman wanted to rule against operating a UFO at more than twice the speed of light on Highway 90. Another wanted to make it illegal to land a UFO in the city limits. But the mayor voted against it all, saying he didn't want to discourage tourism. Some in Pascagoula thought it was all bull. To some, I guess, they they thought it was neat, you know. And one reporter said that some would say, and oh my God, this is so beautifully Mississippi. We're having a party at the house tonight with shotguns on the front porch. And if them suckers land here, we're going to shoot them. While everybody else was having fun, Charlie and Calvin were taking the first turns into what would be the rest of their lives. And Charlie, he would tell anybody that would listen. And in the process, he became a bit of a Gulf Coast celebrity. He did TV interviews, got letters from all over the world, and appeared in a UFO documentary. Later, in 1983, he wrote and self-published a book called UFO Contact at Pascagoula. Charlie appeared at UFO conventions and even directed a film about his abduction called In Contact. Ah, but Calvin, he ran. He chased old jobs and construction jobs, and if somebody at work figured out who he was, he said he'd just move on, find another job, find another town. But he was always found out, and that could only last so long. So later, he tried to lean into the story too, you know? Maybe trying to own what happened to him. He made several television spots about UFOs and his own abduction. But later, he just gave it all up and headed back to the Gulf Coast. In a 2013 interview with the Associated Press, Calvin said he was still recognized. Also, noting that he's a man of God, Calvin wondered if the creatures that grabbed him that night weren't aliens at all, but demons. In 2018, Calvin told the Clarion Ledger, the daily paper there in Jackson, that he'd finally changed his mind about keeping quiet. He said he'd attended a funeral, and he was immediately recognized. So, he left out of respect for the family, saying that people were making the funeral more about him than about the deceased. He'd spent 45 years not talking about the thing that defined his life. And the time had come. I felt like everyone deserved an explanation. Parker said in the interview. Everyone has an expiration date, and I wanted to get this out there before I die. Parker lays everything about his abduction and his life after in a new book called Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. I catch myself going fishing at night and look up and wonder where they came from. And 
how far did they travel and, and why they had to get me, he said. In that 2013 story in the Associated Press, Charlie's son Eddie said his dad spent the rest of his life trying to let everyone know that we're not alone. Charlie died in 2011 at the age of 80. Charlie and Calvin's story is considered one of the most influential UFO contact stories in American history. And in 2016, Pascagoula celebrated it. The town turned out for a Halloween event called Galactic Adventure. It was just before the homecoming football game. According to Biloxi's Sun-Herald newspaper, the event featured a costume contest, an electric light parade, the Great Haunted Halloween Bicycle Tour, and a pumpkin pottery demonstration. Folks around back when Calvin and Charlie were abducted were expected to gather at Downtown Buffet to share memories. Scranton's restaurant offered a $4 mixed drink called Absolute Alien Abductions. They had deep-fried Milky Way bars for a dollar, and they offered something called Paranormal Pork Rinds. Anybody who spent $25 at Alley's Gifts and more got a free Halloween tote bag and anything space-related at Whimsy's Books and Toys was 15% off. I love this story and the Gulf Coast. I think about this story anytime I'm on the beach down there. I find myself looking up to the stars, looking for a, a blue light. I do know one thing. Y'all have got to respect Calvin and Charlie. I mean, I never knew them personally or anything, but they don't seem like the kind of guys who'd make up something like this. Why on earth would two blue-collar southern boys turn their lives upside down like that? And over an alien abduction? I can tell you, they wouldn't. My name's Toby Sells. Thanks for loading up and heading out with me today. Holler back at me here soon for more Haint Blues.